Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre, and today my guest is Todd Geist with Geist Interactive. Welcome. Hey, how are you? It's always good to talk to you. Thanks, man. You too. It's so fun geeking out on FileMaker stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've got a a pretty cool new a um, like website. How would you how would you characterize this? What what are we talking about here? Well, it's an initiative or a project um, to try to make it easier to share code in in the community. Uh, and it's manifested as a website called modularfilemaker.org. It's a place to to store uh, all of these modules that that we're creating, all this shareable code. But it's also got the documentation and the guidelines for how to build shareable modules. And we call them um, modules, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't really have a a great way to separate out code in FileMaker. You know, that's sort of like a module, like you might think of like in in, uh, in some other languages like mm-hmm. like Drupal or something like that. And it's not really a plugin. It's not a plugin like a mm-hmm. WordPress plugin. We don't have that. But module is about as close as we can get. So modularfilemaker.org is well, the name of the website. FileMaker is really a procedural system. It's not really a module. It's not really object-oriented, right? No, it's not. And so there's, there's a lot of different things you, that, can, yeah. you can drop in that are very modular feeling. I mean, I certainly... I tried to do that with FM search results, and that was just one of many projects that you can really quickly implement into a system. Yeah, and I, you know, I should say that that FM search results was actually quite influential in the in the style of coding that I, that I used to build this stuff. So you have a hand in in the creation of this thing because you you showed when I first saw that a number of years ago, you showed some some ways of breaking the the ties that bind, so to speak, between mm-hmm. the code that you write. And the tables underlying that code, mm-hmm. and I thought that was very innovative um, at the time. And uh, and now, a few versions of FileMaker later, we have some more ways to, to make that stuff more loosely coupled. Yeah, you're taking it way to the next level. I mean, you're you're basically talking about things that you can drop into a solution as easily as like a custom function, but that deliver way more than a custom function could deliver. Is that fair? Well, it's a little. Uh, you know, I, I wish I'd love to say that it was it was that easy. I mean, we you know. FileMaker being what it is, we have some constraints that that we simply you know have to deal with. The main idea is that is that if you write your code in a, in a certain style in a certain way with a, with a few simple guidelines, that your code is more easily copied into another solution mm-hmm. and more easily maintained in that solution. But you're still copying and pasting code. I mean, there's there's really no way around that in, in FileMaker. You're gonna sure. you're gonna copy in tables. You're gonna copy in custom functions and layouts and scripts and layout parts, et cetera, just sure, like yeah. you have to do. But but if you if you build your code sort of with that in mind and with a with a few other ideas in mind, you can get to uh, to a system that's fairly portable. And that's really the goal is to make it so that um, if you need a feature like a navigation bar system, like a top menu, mm-hmm. um, you can go to this site and that's one of the modules that's available there and you can you can download that module and in, you know in five or ten minutes you can have a functioning top navigation bar with nested navigation and things like that. So your samples are all free at this point. Is this going to always be a free kind of a thing? Um, they're free. They're on the site. And uh, I, I, that's just because I think we need to get it going. Um, I, think, I think probably if it's successful, the vast majority of modules will be free. But I do think there's room uh, in the market for commercial modules that are maybe much more complex. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But uh, but that you know you you would pay to to, to buy and download, and I, I think the the advantage to commercial module builders, like for example FM Search Results, is that if you would, were to adapt FM Search Results just to fit within 
the pretty lightweight spec that we have for modular FileMaker mm-hmm. that hopefully you the people you're selling to have a little more familiarity with with how it's going to get dropped in because because they're they've used lots of, of other modules mm-hmm. that are dropped in in the same way. I mean, yeah, one of one sense. of the one of the one of the models maybe is jQuery plugins. You know, jQuery made JavaScript what it is today in many ways because it made it so easy for people to to first develop JavaScript and then share JavaScript by having these plugins. And so, really, all all a jQuery plugin is a style of writing jQuery functionality. And that's really all Modular FileMaker is. It's a style of writing all your FileMaker code. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the other examples that I think will help me understand kind of what this is. So the nav, top nav bar is a really good example because everyone's written eight of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, that was the last one I wrote just before we launched the site because I needed one for the solution that I was working on. And I, I really had hoped that somebody else would write one before <laughs> before I, I needed it. Um, but I just sat down and, and wrote it out in a, in a couple of days and, and put it up. But there's the other ones that are up there are uh, um, we have Restore Tabs, which is a nice simple one for restoring um, you know, the tab states of different layouts. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, browser Navigation, so that gives you the back and forward navigation like a, like Safari and Firefox, et cetera. Sure, like, like the back solution, seed codes, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he calls it back magic, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same kind of thing. Um, and then we have one I call sessions, which is the code that I write to use the session model in FileMaker. We have that one central table where mm-hmm. every, every user that logs in gets a record, and also all that code is in there. Okay. Then the big one is transactions, and that's the code that I use to write all of my transactional logic. So that that code has been in development for ten years. And, and that's there are some, solid stuff. There are a lot of layout aspects of that, right? You still have to do the to commit. You still have to do the portal issue, right? You still have to do all your edits through portals and and what I use in this module is a uh, is a it's uh, it's really we could do a whole talk on that it's uh, it's what I call the super parent model where we're creating a record that serves as the parent record for every record that you want to edit hmm. and then um, that makes it very flexible you don't need to worry about quote unquote natural relationships you can basically make any edits that you want in the same same transaction simply by creating relationships to the records you want in this super parent. And then you, you commit the super parent, and that uh, saves, saves all those edits in a single batch. And you do have to have layout elements to do that for, for lots of things. You, you have, in order to delete a record, you do have to have a, a portal on the layout. And um, it's helpful sometimes to have other portals. You don't need them to create records, but it's helpful. So, yeah, there's layout stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones we have, um, we have an all-custom function module, which is kind of interesting. It's called FileMaker SQL Sugar, and that is an interesting way of writing uh, FileMaker, Se- FileMaker SQL queries. Yeah, really Brian Schick was out yeah. in Portland showing that. Well, actually, at Pause on Air uh, yep. a month ago. And then also, well, a couple well, since then, actually, what, a week ago? A little longer? Um, showing that, it was pretty amazing. Man, he's put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's written up as a, as a module. Um, it's up there on the site. And then there, the other two that are up there currently are Master Detail and then Hyperlist. Master Detail creates those, you know, list view on the left and detail view on the right, or list view and detail view mm-hmm. on the same on the same layout, which is a, a favorite UI of mine. I 
I don't like list view very much, and I like to have the list and the detail on the same screen. Hmm. Uh, and master detail helps you do that. And it, it depends on, on this other module called hyperlist, which is a, a way of gathering record IDs very, very quickly and completely abstracted. So you don't, hmm. so you just have to give it the field name of the ID that, of the, of the, of the field that has the IDs in it. And it'll gather the found set of records. Um, all of them very quickly. Wow, how does that work? I'm curious. It's uh, that's another topic we could spend a lot of time on. But it <laughs> it uses a couple of different techniques to um, rapidly. You know what? Actually, I heard recently that you may have played a role in some of this too, and maybe in search results you might do some of this. So I put this up. Hyperlist is was up on one of the first ones I did. And Donovan from Beeswax emailed me back with a couple of changes. Said that he may have gotten from you originally. In search results, do you do this where you gather the, the IDs really quickly by doing three nested loops? Is that how you do it in search results? Um, I'm trying to think. You're talking about like array compacting? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, basically, you have to gather all those IDs into a long list. Right. So, so how do you do that in a way that's not slow? Well, and I, and just I think you may through. have figured out a way to do it a number of years ago that was pretty fast. Well, I, I actually found that looping through like 500 or 1,000 records just with a loop record and set variable is insanely fast. So yeah, but what if you get beyond that? Um, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, again, we could have a full discussion on this, but, yeah, so but, I don't but Hyperlist use a can thing. gather uh, 80,000 records in, in 10 seconds. Wow. pretty fast. Yeah, still horribly it can, slow, but... <laughs> it can do... It can do uh, and, and display those in a portal, um, which, is, which is pretty impressive, Dang. I think. You know... A master detail, you're never going to show somebody 80,000 records. You're never going to show somebody 1,000 records. Right. You know, we're talking hundreds of records in that portal on the left. But I wanted to push it and see how far I could take that found set out. out and and uh, it handles pretty snappy up to up to ten or 20,000 records. Well, I, have, I have some bigger found sets for you if you ever want. <laughs> well, anyway, so that's what Hyperlist does. And, um, it, it, uh, it's, it, it, it handles that aspect of of gathering the IDs for master detail. But you can use it for any anything where you want to create a virtual list basically. So let's talk about like the benefits and the of the uh of this of the modular approach and then also like some of the guidelines. So it's, it seems to me like the the biggest benefit is you can quickly and consistently um add code from your from one solution to another, whether it's from one of your solution to another one of your solutions or things that you get from other developers or things you get from you. That's a huge benefit. Yeah, and that's definitely the number one thing is that we want to have a consistent way of moving code from from place to place, mm-hmm. and uh, it helps if all the code is written in a similar fashion. Now, the guidelines are that's pretty. That's never going to happen. Well, that's the thing, right? So, um, you know, I've been involved with the various attempts in the past to create either monolithic frameworks, these large app development frameworks that make it quote-unquote, easy to develop FileMaker solutions. And I've been involved in the standards organizations. Um, I, I've, done, I've done some stuff with, with FileMakerStandards.org. Mm-hmm. And also back when 7 shipped, the original FileMaker standards, the one and only ever official FileMaker standards that were shipped. Oh, I remember that. Um, yeah, I was involved in that. You in that admit that? Too. I know. It's terrible. It was. <laughs> it really was. It really was. So, um, and, and again, I've written these, these large monolithic, framework before and 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 i know they don't work um 
they don't ever get adopted outside of the outside of the place that they originally developed. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that they don't have value. I mean, if you're a large development shop, um, it makes a lot of sense to have a framework that you're using within within uh, within your shop, so that all the devs on your team can you know can be familiar with the methods of doing definitely of doing it. But they don't get adopted outside of that, and that's really what I'm going for. I really want something that that can be adopted much more widely than than individual shops. And I, I think the, the primary reason that these don't get adopted, either the large standards or these large frameworks, is because they attempt to do way, 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 way too much. And if there's something new about Modular FileMaker is that it has a very, very narrow focus. The only things that, are, that, it, that it's concerned with is, is um, a style that aids in the discovery and shareability of code. And that's it. It doesn't really care what your naming conventions are. It doesn't really care whether you like to use bizarre characters in your field names. It doesn't care um, about uh, all the ways that you might do build a whole framework. It, it is very, very narrowly focused on building these little features that can be easily shared and easily assembled into, into, into larger solutions. Mm-hmm. So the documentation is, is maybe two printed pages if you print it, it's pretty light. Um, it just has a couple of couple of guidelines, couple of principles, and um, and a couple of areas where where it, it tries to be pretty clear about what you should do. What are and the rest things? Is, is really up to you. So um, one of the key things about modules is discoverability. You know, when you open up a file, how do you know what modules are in there? And where there there is no defined modules dialogue anywhere in in FileMaker. So um, we looked around and came up with um, with the uh, script folders because scripts are kind of the the best place that we have to organize stuff. Absolutely. Um, they, there's folders. You can do comments. You can write comments and script names. You can have separators. You, so that's the only place we really have any kind of order that yep. we can impose They're versionable. They're copy and pasteable without yep. advanced. Yep. Um, yep. They're small. You can, they can be edited very, very safely when users are logged into a system right. because yeah. the, the, they don't execute until you actually hit save. Right. Um, yeah. They're, yeah. They're- so, so we go with scripts, and, and we have a we have a structure, a subfolder structure that that we think is a good idea. Uh, and basically, a FileMaker file should have a folder called modules in it, and in that folder, there should be a top level folder um, within that folder, the next level down. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, for every module in that solution. And then inside a module folder, the first script that they should see, uh, they should, the first readable script that's not a separator, should be a readme. And that readme script should, should, uh, should be named readme, and it should have uh, instructions and the purpose of what the module is and how to install it or directions to the websites where you can learn how to install it. And it should contain version info, license info, uh, all that sure. stuff that you find in Readme's. If you're a huge Neil Stevenson fan, could that be called ReamD? <laughs> <laughs> I am. A big, I am a big fan. Actually. I'm actually glad you got that reference because it's yeah. somewhat yeah. obscure, but <laughs> I know <laughs> it's a great um, book. So inside that folder, we then have uh, we have conf- um, three folders within that. One which is um, users can edit. So that's where you set up your configuration. So that, like in FM search results, mm-hmm. there's a couple scripts. With, there's one script, as I recall, where you do all of the configuration for 
for the scripting. Yeah, there's mod. one you must edit, basically. Yeah, yeah. Configure. It's and, sort of the way I thought about that was sort of like an HTTP config document when you're setting up a web server. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to go to this one file. Yeah, uh, and type in all the stuff that you had back in the day right. with Apache 20 years ago, and, right. and even still t- to some degree. Yeah, exactly. So, so any scripts that the user gets to edit or, um, or needs to edit go in that folder. Then we have another folder called public, which is um, scripts that get called but not edited. And then mm-hmm. finally we have a folder called private, which is private to the module and is never called from outside of the module. Black box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, inside the public folder, we separate things out. It's, you know, I typically do. It's not mandatory, but we like to have a, um, a folder for triggers and a uh, folder for buttons mm-hmm. you know, things like that, mm-hmm. a- API. But really that's the key is that we have yeah, a, a module. It's a folder. It's a script folder. It has a readme, and it has up to three other folders at the next level. Hmm. A configuration folder, a public folder, and a private folder. This does sound very easy to adapt. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, the idea was not to ask you guys to stretch very much. Mm-hmm. The idea was was just to sort of say, well, if we if 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 everybody knows that you know if, if the solution is using modules, if I look in the module folder, I can immediately know what modules are in the system. Even in the case of all custom function modules, we say put a folder in the modules folder that that describes that module. And the, some of the other things that we think are a really good idea are including tests, both for installation and um, yeah, well, installation and and also unit testing if you can do it. But but really, installation testing is key. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the examples, the the FileMaker SQL Sugar example um, module has a test that can test if the if the custom functions are installed or still installed. They may have been deleted. It can actually test all that. Hmm. So we think that's important because when your users put a module in. It's really nice if they could run a script and, and again get some feedback. Says, "Oh yeah, you did this right," or "Nope, you didn't," uh, and or "No, you didn't." And here's where you screwed it up. You know, here, here's where here's where the things are are uh, are off. Sure. So we do a lot of that. Um, the idea is to make it easy to easy to see where the things are and easy to understand what gets done to hook the thing into place and, and sort of make that the the, the one standard way in which these things are are. Um, are delivered in a file. So that's really that's the spec on how the folders look and how you describe a module, quote unquote. Um, we also have just a couple other guidelines that we we try to stick to. Um, a big one is is or a big principle, a guiding principle, is that the users of your module should not have to accept your entire FileMaker mindset mm-hmm. in order to use your module. And because I think that's one of the reasons why things don't get adopted. Um, very, these large frameworks don't get adopted. Yeah, I think about it like the Excelsis has one. Yeah. There's Seed Code Complete, which is really the only one that's really not, in, not used internally. It's only for external. Yeah. Um, Beeswax has one. Soliant yeah. presumably has one or several. I'm not sure if they do off the top of my head. But I mean, a lot of the big companies all have one that they consider to be a competitive advantage. You know, yeah. there's Core from Productive Computing. Yeah. Um, and they probably are a competitive advantage when compared to a another developer in the area who's not affiliated with one of those companies. But I don't think they're really a competitive advantage when um, compared to each other. I don't think any of them is a clear winner. 
No, and I, you know, they're, they're def- so who's the advantage for, really? Um, now, or let's get clear on that's where that good, advantage is. That's a good is. question. Because this is, I think it's important to understand where the value is in those, in those frameworks. Um, the value mostly is in the, in the developer shop because they have something that they mm-hmm. basically shoehorn every project into, whether it makes sense or not. To go into that framework, it goes into that framework, mm-hmm. and they um, generate some revenue based on that. Um, and also, there is some benefit to the to the to the customer, probably because they get some functionality for free, and they get a lower prob- uh, certainly a lower cost um, to get into the game in the first to a certain place, point. Yes, to a certain point, mm-hmm. and so it, that's all true, and that's all good, and that's fine. And I, I you know, I. You know, sometimes I, I talk in absolutes, but but it's, so I don't want to um, burn that 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 way entirely. But not all projects make sense in the same framework, and when you shoehorn a project into that framework, you it's it's you do so uh, for a short term gain and a long term loss uh, because that project gets burdened with all the code that it may never use and um, is now. A cognitive load to the next guy who has mm-hmm. to deal with it, and so three, four, five years go down the road, and and you look at this thing, and and you know maybe only ten percent of the code is being used, but which ten percent, you don't know, right? So there is some value to these frameworks, but it's very short term, um, short term gain for both the developer house, the developers themselves, and and for the clients. But long term, it'll be much better if the code was lighter. If it only if the if the if the solution itself only included the code that was that was um, in use or mostly the code that was in use, and so that's why I right. think this idea of using you know smaller modules that you assemble into just what you need is um is a is a better approach because I think it sure. still can be a short term win, but it's a better long term win. Yeah, well, the module might have things you don't really use. I mean, there's custom functions I have in my solutions that I probably don't call, and that doesn't really have cost but if there's but if there's half of my layouts in my solutions or layouts i don't use that's extremely high cost it does have a cost so i and this is and this is um this is part of the issue uh one of my pet peeves is custom functions because i think they do have a cost um they're they're really hard to organize Mm -hmm. unless you use a, a naming convention which then makes them makes them hard to understand if they had folders, I'd be a much bigger fan of custom functions. Yeah, but but they don't, so they tend to get all mishmashed in there. I'm not sure that I've ever actually. Had, do you, how many? Do you, have you ever had more than a hundred in a solution? Um, I've seen some files with more than a hundred. Huh. And and the, the important thing to remember is that it's not a load to you because you put it there. It's a load to the next guy who looks at it and doesn't know which of the three that you're really using this solution mm-hmm. he actually needs to deal with. So it's. It is a load, you know. When whenever you put something and there's no way to encapsulate it or hide it away, like there is with cu- with custom functions, it's all just out there. Yep. You have no choice but to seed them all. Uh, it gets it. There is a, there is a load to it. Um, on the other hand, I think tables. There's not that much of a load to it, and I think you can you can use tables as another way to organize modules. Uh, for example, common practice would be. Uh, if you have a need for a central um, global field that your module needs, in the old days, what I would have done is I would have had one table in my solution that had all of my global fields in it, and and all of my 
what are now modules would have used that global that one table and they would have had na- field names in there that were the that were the uh, you know named appropriately or whatever but they all would have been squashed into that same you know that same table mm-hmm. that's not very modular that's pretty tightly bound it's pretty tangled up still the way so, I do it <laughs> yeah and it's still the way you know up until recently until this started really taking off for me I changed that so if I have a module and it needs a global table it gets a table it's named after the module, even if it has just a couple of fields. Mm-hmm. It now provides an organizational layer that makes it more clear that it's part of this module. It's no longer jammed in some other table where it could get lost or deleted or who knows what. So Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, a lot of SQL solutions have a thousand tables. That's the other thing that really has struck me with this is that, you know, I've been doing FileMaker 20 years. How long for you? It's been... More that long, 25, hasn't it? 30, 20, yeah. yeah, 25 years. So we've spent half of our time in FileMaker in an environment where we had 50 tables and no more than 50 tables. And, and so should, I think yeah. we're still I think we're still stuck with that. Not me. I think <laughs> I no, I think our brains are to some degree. Is that at least I feel like I am. I always felt like tables were heavy. And that's just because they used to be very heavy. But we yeah, can have did. thousands of tables. It's, yep. I mean, thousands would be obscene, but we could certainly have hundreds and not no, be a problem. I, yeah, I have a mantra, Todd. It's uh, fields are expensive and tables are cheap. <laughs> if I like, if my customer asks for a field in a table, like if they ask for a field in the main table, yeah, I'll expensive. fight them on it. I'll like say, yeah. really? Is, are you sure this isn't going to be solved in another way? But if they go, oh, well, I need a lookup table that has all the states and another one for all the counties and another one for all the cities, by the time they're done with the sentence, I've added three tables to the solution, yeah. you know. There, there, and there's, there's, a lot of, um, there, there, there's a lot of sense in that. Uh, if you normalize your solution, really normalize them, you end up with smaller, more smaller tables. Mm-hmm. And when you're building modularly, you might have extra tables, that you're going to link up in some way mm-hmm. um, that sort of define the, the differences between those, you know, your, your solution and your module, if you will. But that's okay. I think it's more important to be modular than it is to be, uh, um, you know, only have one function, only have this logic expressed in one place in my solution. Uh, I think the modularity wins out over that. It's just hmm. so cool when you can reuse stuff easily um, I think it wins. I'm thinking about a- all of the benefits to this that you maybe don't see. You know, uh, the you've been thinking about this for a really long time. But as other people um, come across this, they're going to be it's going to it's going to cause like a shift in your brain where you have to think, oh yeah, I really I should be doing this differently. I have been doing it wrong, or this is a much better way when I really look at it. Um, and even if they don't change, just the process of going through a uh, a thought experiment, I think, is hugely beneficial. Yeah, you know, um, I had a discussion with Michael Woods um, uh, about this. Uh, he, uh, I, cut, he, we were going back and forth about custom functions. I, I am not a fan of custom functions. I, I, I use them, but I don't use them for for silly purposes. Like mm-hmm. I know there, uh, um, there are people out there that are going to get angry that I call this silly, but. But I've seen people use custom functions for uh, null, mm-hmm. so that they can write, um, you know, this variable equals null, and and I, I understand why there's a there's a desire to do that. I really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've even written that custom function myself. I, I get it. Was but it recursive? Just, 
It's just, it's not recursive. <laughs> null. What, what what is a recursive null function? Interesting. Maybe we need a philosophy that's, podcast for I think that. That's when God divides by zero or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you do that, um, this that'd be an example of if you did that inside your module code, and you said, "Here, Todd, use this module." I'm going to look at that null function, and I'm going to go, no, thank you. I, I don't want it. I don't want code that is um, – I, I consider that fragile. I consider that you, you've created an unnecessary dependency between your, your scripts and your custom functions. It would be different if we had a way to automatically update custom functions, you know, like we do with plugins, but we don't. Mm, true. Um, so so – um, I use custom functions when they are uh, absolutely called for. I don't use them as sort of the um, the easy way out. So I think they get used a lot for that, and uh, yeah, it's a problem. I have to think about like some of the ones I've done. You know, like even lately. Of course, most of the time now, you you wouldn't even need a custom function. You just if it's not recursive, it doesn't need to be a custom function. You can just paste it in. Yeah, there there as are a, certain cases. There are certain cases when it's really really handy um, to be to be a custom function. And the other thing is, I will use custom functions outside of my module code, and I won't use them inside. So it's really two different coding styles. Um, like here's a good example. So one of the other guidelines is how do you pass multiple parameters into a script? It's in your module. Mm-hmm. So this has been done. People have lots of ways of packaging up multiple Absolutely. parameters. Yep. And Parsing them out on the other side, and uh, it's one of the reasons why we don't share is because we everybody wants to use their own custom function to do this. So we say no custom functions within the module to parse that code. And the one the way that that we think is the way to do it is to use let notation, which is the method that's actually um, in the FileMaker help document for the let function is a way to pass is a way to pass parameters to. Mm-hmm. To a script, so uh, you don't need a custom function to write that. You don't need a custom function to parse that, uh, and so that's the method that we like you to use. Mm-hmm. But if you're writing using that custom function, I'm using that module, and you have a custom function that packages it up in that format, and you're going to send it into that module, go for it. That's okay. Does that make sense? So two different styles inside the module and outside the module. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the ones you have. Um, the cu- I don't the, the custom functions that are that uh, um, that people use to package up that this is kind of based on is the hash custom function family. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? So that so that's the one. It basically just creates the inside of a let variable string. Okay. So you know var equals right. You know, and then, I've done then some it, of that. I, I still use the actually I still use a custom function for most of that. I just use the one to read it, get param. Yeah. Which is a seed code one. Yeah. Like a long time ago. Yeah. And I've just gotten so used to it. And now I I I would never have a button or a script call another script that doesn't use multiple parameters. I would never send a single parameter to it because every time I've ever done that, it bites me in the butt a year later or whenever <laughs> later. I, I have I find some that, that only take one parameter and, and I think and so we 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 say that if you only got one parameter just pass it. I mean, don't don't overcomplicate it. If it's a simple solution, like like Hyperlist has one real script in it, mm-hmm. one script that gathers the IDs. It takes a field name. There's no reason to to burden the burden that that script with anything else. It's not going to get. 
another another parameter. Sure. It's, it's unlikely to. So right. So but 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 that is one of the areas that we focus on because this is one of the areas that really gets in the way of sharing. Is that you know I'm not going to use your solution because you use different custom functions. So we say don't use them for this um, inside your module. Uh, try not to use a custom function to parse multiple parameters. It's not necessary. There are good ways of doing it without, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not that hard. One of the things I started doing is I, when I write code outside my module, I may use a custom function here or there. But then when I, I decided, like, hey, man, you know, this, this uh, navigation system, this could be a module. So then I go through and I, and I rip out the custom functions and replace it with, oftentimes it can just be a simple script that can do it. Um, so I get rid of the custom functions and replace it with, with um, you know, regular script code. And it, I think it works pretty well. Sure. Well, that get param function I referenced, seed code doesn't use it anymore. They use a script now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They do. I just yeah. I do bug scripts all day long. That's my day. And um, stepping in and out of scripts is tedious. So I mean, there's times where if it just executes the code and it doesn't, you don't even. It's just one line of code, and it saves you those three clicks of stepping in, stepping out. Um, it's nice. It is nice, but. Um... But it really is I, a single let statement. That is really still one line. So, yeah, it really it really isn't that hard. And once you get it, I mean, it does add a burden to debugging. But I, I think, again, one of the things that this is really focused on is it puts shareability above everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is secondary. Uh, even readability, even even speed, all that stuff comes mm-hmm. after you make this code as shareable as possible. Uh, so, you know, and well, again, it only matters for that stuff that you want to make shareable. You don't have to write your whole solution that way, mm-hmm. but only the modules that you want to share or that you know, somebody may share with you. It's really helpful if they don't have, if they don't come with a lot of, a lot of shrapnel, as I call it, a lot of custom functions or dependencies that I don't really want to have to incorporate into my solution. So, um, you know, that's that's the the focus is to. It's to try to come up with a style and a, and, a, and, a, and a guideline for just making this stuff easier to share and then having a place to go mm-hmm. where you can go and say, oh, yeah, you know, look, there's another navigation module or there's a, or there's a, nice, a nice picker module or there's a nice, um, you know, a security management module and, and just be able to use it and, and be reasonably certain that it's not going to in fact, your code, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is part of it, obviously. Are you speaking at DevCon? I am, and this is one of the this will this is one of the topics. Uh, I'm doing another session on modular coding, and um, you know, I, I wrote that that uh, a proposal before a modular filemaker existed, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it was still the same basic ideas. How do we write code that can be uh, that's not so tightly coupled to the to the database tables, and then and then how do we uh, make that code easier for people to consume? Hmm. And so modular filemaker is really that just taken to the next level, given a website and a presence, um, and it's it, and it's picked up some uh, it's picked up some support. And there's um, there are uh, three there are three modules on the site that I didn't write, and there are more coming that are not for me, and I hope that. Someday, very soon, there will be more modules that, that aren't from me. Well, i got a couple ideas. Uh, well, great. <laughs> Love to see them up there. Uh, Ernest Coe has really uh, been a big influence on me, and 
in sort of the style that that this has evolved into, and um, and they're they're behind this 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 site, uh, kind of co-sponsoring it. And we'll see some modules from them pretty soon. Um, so and it's getting a lot of hits, it's getting a lot of traffic, a lot of comments. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, so a module could be purely script, but that's pretty tough. Or it could be really, it's going to be some combination of script plus layout widget plus table maybe plus yep. whatever. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, and the best example, the most complex we have in there is Master Detail. Master Detail is scripts and, and layout objects. Mm-hmm. Um, but it walks you through the steps of installing the module in your solution uh, I, I did a video where I talked about each step that took 10 minutes. If you know, once you've done it once or twice, it takes about two minutes to get it in. It's hmm. pretty fast. Uh, and it, it's a pretty rich module. And it uses um, object names uh, to sort of to, 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 to tell the script what the primary key is of the table it's sitting on, which is really cool. And now in FileMaker 12, we have that off-screen area. So we can put, you know, like, like I think search results has... Has the has that that layout where you put in all the fields, right? Where yeah. you configure the stuff per table. Yeah, like one per, layout per table. you have to configure. Yeah, per is, table. Yeah, per table, you, that's actually the way you do most of the configuration is in layout yeah. mode. It's really simple, right? And it's all object oriented, object name based, right. right? And and so with with master detail, you want one per layout. So the cool thing is, is you can just throw that layout object off screen and just you know, that named layout object for primary key and just pick the primary key in the table. Hmm. And now all the scripts that are running on that layout know the primary key. Wow. And it's, yeah. It's hot. And so let's see. So things that are off screen in FileMaker 12 can They're still be, can still be uh, seen by scripts. They can still be screen. They can still be seen by, by all the, all the functions that can read layout objects or anything yeah, like so that. Yeah, so if you say get layout object yeah. names or whatever the, the function is, it'll, it'll read all the objects. It'll then understand what the name of the object is, look for a certain thing like primary key with a yeah. protected name. And then, and then, look and then at it that knows object the and primary. see what the actual field name is to see fully qualified, include, yep. even if it just got named seconds ago. Yep. Um, yeah, that's yep. really cool. Yep, and, and what's nice about the off-screen area is, is you can actually document it. Like I have, a, I have it on a... Um, it's on a tab panel, mm-hmm. so it, so you can move it around. I love tab panels for that because they have containment. So I have the two fields you need to configure per layout and some instructions right there. And it's kind of like a property palette for the layout, you know, like a little inspector almost. Here's my interesting. Here, here's my uh, here's my field primary key. Here's the one other field we need to store the found count. And then every other place in that code that needs to know something about the layout. Or the relationships, it's all read and all tested using the design functions or get layout object attributes, hmm. including we can tell if you don't have your relationship set up correctly, and we'll and we'll tell you. We'll actually show you what it should be in a little message that pops up. Wow! Because we because we use the design functions to look and see. Oh, all right, I know what table I'm on. I know that I should have a relationship to that table. I know what fields should be in that table. Mm-hmm. And I know how that relationship should be set up. And if it's not, I just throw a dialogue that says, hey, you need to fix that. Oh, well, that's great because a lot of times I'll, I'll copy like a layout from the invoice context over to the person context or something. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go through and do four of the five fields on the 
portal and forget about the last one. Yeah. You get dis- distracted or whatever. Yeah. It looks right. You look at it in browse mode, it's yeah. fine. You look at it in layout mode, it's fine. But then it doesn't work because the yeah. field one of the ones is wrong. Yeah. Right. I hate so, that. So, so that's a big part of what I'll be talking about at DevCon is, is how you can write code that's decoupled from, from the table so that it basically the script that's running looks at the layout and says, hey, what do I need? I need lay. I need. Uh, I need the primary key. I need a portal. I need a relationship. Let me make sure all that stuff is there. Okay, great. Now I can go and and do my stuff. And if not, I I throw a big big loud error and tell the developer they need to fix it. Cool. Well, this is some awesome stuff you've built. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to seeing lots more. Let's keep talking. Yeah, man. You know, I'd love to see uh, um, see what you come up with for this. I think uh, you are you your your stuff with search results really was kind of the the first time that I saw that this might be possible to break away complex code, which your code is, to do all those fancy searches away from the table. Yeah, well, probably three-fourths of the work of search results was to make it easy to implement. That's right. And the other fourth was to make it actually do what it does. You know. That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, you've already got this in your, in your FileMaker DNA. You already understand that, that that's, a, that's a critical thing to do. So... All we're really saying here is, is, hey, just wrap it up like this, and mm-hmm. and then it'll be easier for other people to consume. I'm working on the holy grail, though, now. I'm working on um, searches that give you relevance ranking. Oh, there you go. And how, how do you do that? And metadata is the key. Let me ask you about search results for one second. We're going to mm-hmm. change topics here. Can I, um, can I target search results to, uh, to, to the table I'm on? Um. So that only searches within that table? I would like to do I, – I like search results for a lot of things when I want to search every table in the, in the solution mm-hmm. or many tables in the solution. But sometimes I want, I want um, the search to be only on that table. Mm-hmm. And, but I want it to be more intelligent than a standard FileMaker find is. You, right? Yeah, you should totally look at the it – it's, it's embarrassing that we're not shipping yet. But the version 3 has been largely done for, for a while now. Um, but there's a couple of reasons it's not yet shipping. One of them is I added a whole bunch of features that slowed it down, and I don't want to ship until it's fast. Yeah. Because um, it was so fast for the last version. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I added was a picker that uses search results logic, and you can just, in an in incredibly small amount of code, add a picker to a layout, and then it just calls the existing search results script unmodified, specifies That's just the awesome. one table that you're on, and then you can pick one or multiple values from that table, click, 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 Click OK and then you're done. It's, um, it's such a needed module. Yes, it's totally it really, a module. It really picker. is. I'm so sick of writing pickers. Oh yeah, and it's you, you'll trip out how fast you can integrate it. it. It's it's built to be super fast. But you know, the one of the things I'm interested in with search results is is actually not um, generating the the, found, the the result set. Um, well, all I want is the found is the found set. Mm-hmm. But you but you have all that really cool logic in in doing the. The finds in a really interesting way in the first mm-hmm. place. I would love like to to put, put to put that on my master detail page, which has a little search bar at the top. Mm-hmm. It only searches whatever table I'm on, but it's still you know it's. That's I'm thinking about like a free tool, like a yeah. a relevance ranking tool that has a table in your solution called relevance in the interface. Probably I'm not sure if it's interface or data. I'm still grappling with that. That is self learning, and it tracks. What users do when they do searches. So, like, if you go into a system and you and you type in Geist and you get way too many th- records, and then you type in 
um, Theodore Geist and it, and it comes up with nothing. And then you type in Todd Geist and it has your record. And then you click on the record. You now have history of what the user did. They, there, was, there was a bunch of time and then there was three things that happened in rapid succession. And you know what the searches are. And yeah. you know that when they got to the last one, they clicked a record, and you can compare the relevance of the first search that they did and the last search that they did to the actual record they clicked on and what table it was in. And then you can make a relationship not to the last thing that they clicked on, but from the first thing that they searched on to what they clicked. Ah, so that, that right. when they search again on the wrong thing, they're going to get the right exactly. result. Yeah. Exactly. Be good. That's how Google works. Google doesn't yeah. have spell checkers. Yeah. If, if someone types in, you know, Lindsay Lohan and they spell her name wrong, and I'm sure people are still doing that on Google for whatever reason, um, it knows other people have spelled the name wrong, and it knows that they eventually figured out what they were doing, clicked the right thing, and that's the thing they clicked on, and that's how it works. So you can actually build this. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a pretty cool thing. And I think you can do it with a, a single table that represents records in every single table in your system that sure. you want to search against. Sure. Um, it does kind of require UUIDs for that. That's okay. Um, UUIDs are cool. I like them. I, 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 use a, I use a custom function, believe it or not, <laughs> to uh, convert the text UUIDs to numeric or hmm. decimal UUIDs because they are less heavy on the index. Yeah. Uh, the text UUIDs are pretty heavy. Yep, they and are. In my, in my tests, the numeric or decimal UUID is, mm -hmm. is about 60% of the size of the, of the text one. So if you're using primary keys like I am now that are all UUIDs, it's a lot of weight. So I've switched to decimals now. And it's, a, it's a pretty easy function hmm. that um, converts the UUID you get from get UUID to a decimal. The, and it's not even recursive. Huh. Wouldn't need to be. The, uh, the FileMaker spec, they actually just adopted an, an, an RFC spec UID, UUID, because right. there's several yeah. different, but there's like eight. I don't know yeah. how many. There's many. If you look at the Wikipedia article on it, it's pretty fascinating. I don't know that any of them are um, decimal, but that's certainly acceptable. Well, I used the Ray no, Culligan no, one for a long it, time. The one, the one that they have is a hexadecimal, mm -hmm. so, um, which is base, what, 16. Um, you can convert that to decimal quite easily. And it, it, it's the same number. That's the funny thing. It is the same number, just in a different base. Sure. So um, the text version of it is just as unique as the decimal version of it. It's exactly mm -hmm. the same number. So basically, you just go through and convert the base 16 to base 10 for each character. And, sure. you, get, and you get a, new, uh, a number for it. So... Um, why couldn't That's you do that as well? Yeah, see, so you couldn't really do that in a script. That has to be a custom function because you're calling it upon record creation. You don't. I mean, the the function is a um, it is not recursive, so you could just copy and paste it. But it's a pretty lengthy custom function. Yeah. Or it's a pretty pretty lengthy function, mm -hmm. um, which you'd have to put into all of your primary keys. But you certainly could. Yeah. Um, but I, I I I'm talking like like I should take uh, all the credit for it. But I did. I it was not my idea. It was Clay Mackerel's at FileMaker. Mm -hmm. He said, just convert them to decimal. They'll be smaller indexes. He's like, he, like I was the dumbest person on the planet for not knowing that when yeah. he said it to me. <laughs> but yeah, so I, that's I, what I'm doing. I, I kind of don't care about the size of the index. <laughs> I mean, drives are so cheap. It's not the, it's the speed also in searching, right? The, the bigger the index, the, a number search is faster than text search. So whenever you target a record with the primary key, 
you if it's text, it's a little bit slower. Yeah. Not a big deal for small stuff, but if you're crunching, you know, yeah. thousands of records in in millions of record tables, it does add up. Do you know how long it takes to do a query on a billion records on a UUID? It's very short. It's te- teeny tiny fraction of a second, like measured in milliseconds. After after the file is open, after the index is loaded, after the first search is done, you know, which is an or- ordinary thing because you're already in your system using it. Yeah. But um, one of the true. things I true, by, by building my really really big data sets, I wanted to find out what problems people solve that are really problems, and what problems people solve that just aren't. That's right. There's a lot of those. Um, we do a lot of that stuff. In now, functions. making relationships based on them and things like that are I can see some some benefit there um, because that's. You're not just doing a single query. You're like you're looking at, um, you know, like if you've got a widget on your main menu that shows you related records that have been recently viewed from all tables in your solution. This is another thing I'll give you, which I'm a huge fan of. It's it's a better way to do a back solution. It's basically a history table that tracks every single user's activity for themselves. And when they go back to their main menu, they see a portal that has all the records they've seen everywhere. Yeah. And then it can just click right on the one, and it takes them straight to that record in that table. It's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. Two, yeah. One table with two fields. It's done. a module. It's yeah, a module. it's a module. Come on. I want to see a module from from you up there soon so I can use it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this I mean, is... It's hard to find a place. I mean, I, I'm so lame on my own website. I don't have a place to put. I mean, I have a place to put stuff, but. Yeah, um, and I should I should mention that. You don't need to publish the module here on the website. You you can publish um, you know just an entry to it and then a link back to your own website if you want. Um, and that's up to up to you as a module developer. If you want to yeah. host it on your own website or host it on GitHub, then uh, we just you know say hey you know create an entry here so that people can find it all in one place. And who knows if this takes off and we get you know hundreds of modules, which would be a dream. Mm-hmm. I'll be thrilled if we get. Two dozen, quite frankly, but if we get hundreds, then maybe we'll move it to a system where we can have some kind of an API for it, so you mm-hmm. can query it and you know download modules. Sure, that'd like be that. cool. Yeah. So let's see it. Let's see it, Matt. Whip them up. All right. I'll, I'll your, uh, your copious free time. My copious free time. Yeah. <laughs> Between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Yeah. On Tuesday. Yeah. The third Tuesday. Yeah. Of June. That's it. That's the only <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, it was great to talk. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs>